So welcome to our next episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? And we are delighted to be joined by Zach Stein, co-founder of Carbon Collective. Zach, welcome to the podcast. So great to be here. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. And I'm really excited about the conversation because we haven't talked that much about sustainable investment and uh, the role it plays. We did have the wonderful James Alexander on some uh, months ago now, but it, it's not a conversation we keep having. So I'm really keen to um, to talk about this and the practicalities of, of what this means for marketers and indeed uh, businesses. Um, Collectively. So let's start with a little bit of a backstory about how the Carbon Collective came into being and why the focus on sustainable investment. Absolutely. So I've known my co-founder since we were four years old. Um, this is the second company that we've founded together. Yeah, we go way back. Wow. Right? My first memories of the two of us are running naked through his backyard through the sprinklers. Um, Fantastic. So yeah, um, skip ahead to 2020. We knew that we wanted to build better ways for individuals to collectivize their climate actions. We conducted bunch of a broad survey, a bunch of interviews, and found that investing was this place again and again where people hit a wall. Yeah. They wanted to align their investments to drive a climate impact from it. They needed it to be a smart investment as well as is their retirement fund. This is not charity yeah. with it. And what they found was ESG, with which is basically Wall Street's answer to ethical investing. And people would look in their ESG funds and be like, huh, I don't really get why this company's in here. I don't really get the impact. It's more expensive. It was fundamentally an unfulfilling experience for them. And then when we look at the top down of what it's going to take to solve climate change, the good news is that we can solve it. Um, We can totally get there. The world is going to be a lot better when we solve it. Fundamentally, million people per year die of air pollution. That goes away when we solve climate change, because we're just not burning stuff to power our society anymore. That, though, is going to take very significant changes in investment. The International Energy Agency has mapped this. What is it going to take to smoothly transition? I know in the UK, with gas prices and stuff like that, just Mm -hmm. saying, hey, everyone switch to wind energy right now, is not very realistic. What is it going to take to smoothly transition? to a zero carbon world by 2050, which will put us on a path to avoiding, giving us a chance to avoid catastrophic warming. Um, We need to stop all new investments into fossil fuel expansion. We have enough and wind down that industry to a fraction of its size today. And then increase investments into climate solutions by 10 to 20 times per year. So the science is very clear. So that's that was the inspiration of us from kind of the bottom up of top down of what is it going to take here to solve climate change? And we have to align investment with that. So at Carbon Collective, we help individuals and businesses here in the U.S. align their investments with that reality in portfolios that make financial sense for long term investing, like your retirement, but have a clear theory of change and impact story within it around climate. Okay, so this is, and of course, there is sustainable investment opportunity going on around the world. As I said, we interviewed uh, James Alexander, the the CEO from UXIF, and he talked about uh, the shifts and how most of their members now are, are, as you say, divesting and and investing into more of these sustainable portfolios. So as as a person, as somebody who is looking to invest, what what's the kind of you know, how 
how is investing solving climate change from a practical perspective? I mean, I know I've gone back to my pension funds and I've said, I don't want anything that I'm investing in to have anything at all to do with anything with the fossil fuel industry. And and they came back to me and said, you know, well, we're waiting for this fund to shift. It's not quite there yet, but it will. And, and I said, absolutely, I don't want to wait. I want this. I do not want to be investing from from right now. So from a practical perspective, what what kind of options are there for people that that are in that situation? I mean, you're you're obviously an organization that are supporting this, but what do people do? Yeah. So it's there's still not great options. They're definitely coming. Um, they are more coming. Um, and so there's kind of these two sides of it. First is how do we be less bad? With that. And that's kind of what you're going for. How do I divest yeah. from fossil fuels and maybe related industries that are going to be dependent upon it, you know, dirty utilities, petrochemicals, et cetera, um, with it. So that that's a really critical piece. Again, when we align with what it's going to take to solve climate change, especially with fossil fuel extraction, we need to not invest in that industry. We need to wind it down. We need to do the opposite from it. Um there's a lot, still a lot of hesitancy and pushback to that. You know, mm. the contemporary world was built by fossil fuels. It has been a mainstay of investing for a very long time. There is an ongoing myth, though, that it is a it, fossil fuels are key for investment performance. Um, I was born in the year 1989. I'm 33, um, and if you had divested from the year I was born, from the S and P 500, you know, so the top 500 largest stocks on the U, uh, U.S. traded stock exchanges, if you had divested from fossil fuels from that year to the present, yep. you would have made more money than if you included fossil fuels in it. Yes. Um, it is, again, a surprise. The underlying narrative is that, oh, if you invest green, if you invest sustainably, that it is fundamentally a charitable act. You're saying, nope, this is my ethics. I don't care what the results are. And we actually believe that this kind of goes, especially in marketing, that <clears throat> the upside here is far higher for doing sustainable investing, especially over a long-term view when we're looking kind of at decades, things like our retirement funds um, and things like that. So fossil fuels are fundamentally an industry in decline. They're, they, you know, their core market shares of electricity generation and transportation, especially on roadways, are being outcompeted by technologies that don't use oil. Mm. renewable energy and electric cars. Both of them are just better technologies. Whether climate change was happening or not, they are better technologies. So do you want to be invested in an industry who's being outcompeted by you know new up-and-comers who are fundamentally better or the up-and-comers themselves? That is our invest that is our pitch for sustainable investing yeah. looking yeah. forwards. Getting back to your question, it's hard still as an individual to do that. There are more options to do that less bad piece of it of how can I holistically remove some of the bad, but we don't just need that too. We need to then do the, okay, how are we also investing in supporting the companies that are building the solutions? So we're on a tight time frame to getting there. We have the next few decades to get us as a planet on a path to reaching a civilization that doesn't burn stuff to power itself. It's kind of as simple as that. It doesn't matter how many trees we plant, if we can't do that as well, because let's be honest, the world isn't going to give up air conditioning and these other pieces. So we need ways to power that. We need ways to still have the lifestyles that we have today, um, but in a way that is not threatening our climate. 
absolutely. And of course, I suppose from a, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, we look to governments to be making these transitions and these shifts and to be making these investments away from fossil fuel into these greener technologies, these uh, cleaner technologies. But of course, we can't just wait for governments. We, We also have the power ourselves, don't we, to be thinking about what we're investing in, where our pension funds are, where our organisations' pensions funds are, and, and calling out and questioning uh, where we put our money, you know, even in, in our banks, etc. So can you talk a little bit more about the practicalities of how that supports decarbonisation? Of, of course. And <clears throat> let me maybe zoom out a little bit yeah. before getting into that of personal climate action. We get this question all the time. When we started our, our research, some of the responses we got was, I'm one person. I was born into a world that's run by fossil fuels. It's all governments and corporations' fault. They should solve it. I don't have to do anything mm-hmm. with it. And that like makes a lot of sense in, in some degrees. But if you go a level deeper and ask yourself, well, then how do corporations change? Or how do governments change? And I haven't yet found an answer that doesn't start from the collectivized series of individuals who say, I'm going to do this differently. Mm-hmm. with that. So it's almost an act of faith by making that shift. And what we like to say is, all right, as you're weighing, which personal actions should you take? Like, oh, I'm like, you know, I should be vegan and I, you know, should fly less and, you know, I should bike to work and things like that. What we often like to say is look at the big pieces of your life, the gears that run your life in the background. Mm. These are bigger decisions. Where you invest, where you would bank, how you get electricity for your home, how you transport yourself, what your job is with those. Those are all big, weighty decisions. They take time and energy to kind of pick them up and shake the box and look around mm. at it. But the the nice thing is once you make the decision, once you green your investments or move your money in your bank, it's done. Yeah. You then just get to bank. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to think about it every yeah. day. You know, you're just turning the lights on with it. So when it comes to investing and kind of the connecting the dots to decarbonization, it's all about momentum in what we have. There's important things of how we're using our votes as shareholders for this. But it's so much of this is about narrative. The purpose of the divestment movement in why, you know, people are ethically motivated like you and me. Our goal, our North Star is how do we get non-ethically motivated capital to come in? Let me share a brief example of the power of narratives in this space. Yeah. The U.S. coal index, the Dow Jones coal index from 2011 to 2020 fell 99% over that time period. Yeah, 99%. That's a big drop in stock prices. And it wasn't because we stopped using coal. Unfortunately, there's still plenty of coal being used in mines and, you know, mountaintops in West Virginia being blown apart. Um, It was because the narrative around coal began to change and it caused a cascade. It was musical chairs. People wanted to get out. They saw that coal no longer had a long-term future. That was the narrative for it now. And our goal in the divestment movement is to preach, and this is why marketing is so important, is to say that narrative again and again about the future of oil and gas. It is fundamentally an industry in decline. And the more that that pervades broader investor circles, the more momentum we're going to get behind of it. Because imagine if you were a CEO of one of those coal companies. Back in 2011, pretty easy to get a loan 
pretty easy to share some, uh, sell some additional shares if you want to raise money. Skip ahead to 2020, your stock price has dropped 99%. Yeah. You're going to the bank with your hat in your hand in that regard. And that makes it a lot harder for that industry to grow. It does. And, and I mean, I remember, you know, we, we've, we've, we've cited it in the book. We, we've been watching what kind of some of the big investment, uh, you know, like Larry Fink, for example, from BlackRock. He made some pretty big statements, hasn't he, over the last few years about wanting to see, I think it was about three years ago, you know, he talked about wanting to see more um more of a shift towards sustainable investment and then i think the 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 shift was something like a whopping 96% of a of an increase into sustainable investment so so all of these factors playing together you know because these investors i mean climate risk is an investment risk isn't it and you know that's another thing he's come out and said and 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 of course being the biggest hedge fund management, you know, organization in the world, that's all going to cascade and ripple down, isn't it, to to all of the other kind of investment houses one way or another. So we've got the investor kind of appetite who are seeing this as a risk. But of course, why aren't we shifting more quickly then? If if you know how you've just said it then, if you know, to think about it, it's risky to be investing in those in those organizations, really, because they, they, they don't have infinite resources. Um, but they do, of course, have a lot of power to shift into renewables, but they just don't seem to be doing that quickly enough. It's almost like, well, we're going to make hay while the sun shines, while we can get away with it um, to the very last minute. But, but aren't really being as focused on, you know, the potential cost to the planet and to the people of, of those kind of behaviors. I mean, I, you've probably seen the, the levels of profitability that are being banded around. And it's kind of shocking when here in the UK, you know, and all around the world, you know, there's rising inflation and, uh, you, you know, this complete kind of credit crunch is back again. So, so what, why isn't it moving as quickly, Zach? Um, it's a, that's the question here with it. I'll give an example of the tenuous position that BlackRock finds itself in. Larry Fink made, you know, he made some headlines yeah. in 2020 of being kind of, you know, the largest asset holder in the world, yeah. was making, you know, fairly um, clear statements yeah. on climate. It kind of wasn't wishy-washy. It was saying, no, this is the issue of our time. Skip ahead a couple of years. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. BlackRock manages the Texas Teachers Pension Fund, very large pension fund, and a lot of oil is uh, oil companies in Texas. Yep. And they said, BlackRock, you got to cut this divestment talk or we're going to find a new asset manager. Mm -hmm. BlackRock immediately issued an open letter declaring its long-term commitment to the oil and gas industry from that. This is, it, it, again, it's, it, it, it makes sense because our world, the world that we came into is one that was born. And I, I'm talking to you today because of fossil fuels. Yeah. They unleashed an amazing of amount of yeah. energy with it. Yeah. So companies like BlackRock, they are finding themselves straddling and it's really hard for them to, they have a lot of uh, uh, people that they need to please. And so it's really hard for them to be kind of laser focused and clear eyed on this. When we then look at oil companies, they're operating in a, especially publicly traded ones, they're operating in a 90 day cycle. 
mm. with that. The whole way the stock market is set up is about yeah. short-term thinking mm. with that. And so, you know, them get generating record profits right now, um, they're not going to be changing tune whatsoever. In fact, they invest very heavily in spreading disinformation and things around yeah. that, um, uh, around climate and the way that their products interfere with it. So there is, I'll, I'll say, say kind of like another myth that we come across a lot, which is, no, you should not divest from oil companies because if you do, then you can't use your votes to pressure them. This is kind of the engage, take a seat at the table argument. And to us, it doesn't really make sense because it's right now, you know, ExxonMobil or BP, it's like a business that has a line out the door and around the block of customers. And so it doesn't really make sense to go behind the counter and whisper, you know, hey, you really should consider changing business models. I know. Instead, what we should be doing is we should go to the people in the line and say, hey, you can get a lot better deal across the street and it's going to be better on the planet. Those companies are only going to change when demand for their products yep. changes. Expecting anything less than that is a waste of energy, in our opinion. The great part is, is that asking their customers to change is increasingly not altruism at all. It is, you know, we look at the rising electricity prices right now, for a warehouse to put solar panels on its roof, that get, they get to lock in electricity prices for 30 years. Yeah. We think about volatility right now as a business. Any yeah. way that you can mitigate that, that's a huge plus. Yeah. You upgrade your fleet to an electric fleet, you're going to be able to drive it four times as long, paying a fraction in fuel and a fraction in maintenance costs for it. That's just better as yeah. a business. These are the arguments that we need to make. And especially, I think, as marketers, uh, we talked about this a little bit before. Yeah. We, climate change is not a sacrifice. Solving climate change is not a sacrifice. It is an opportunity today. And that is what we need to align it with, is with rewards. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, even in my own circles, you know, people have been saying to me that the, the searches on Google have, have, have increased exponentially for people looking for personal, for their homes, you know, solar panel solutions, because I think people as part of this energy crisis uh, now, when it starts to bite, when it starts to hurt, they start to want to think about, I, I don't want to be part of that. I want to try and become a little bit more self-sufficient. And there must be better ways, as you say, of doing this at both a personal level, business level. So you're absolutely right. 100% agree in the opportunity. And hopefully this is a catalyst for some significant shifts. So talking about marketing then and this narrative um, and how marketers can support the education, the awareness, and indeed start getting to the people in the line, like you said, and, and empowering them to not only make those shifts, but be aware that they there are shifts that they can make, that they can be empowered to do things themselves. Let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, in the pre-chat, you said to me this this whole storytelling, this narrative at the moment isn't going so well. Yes. Um, you know, go back to An Inconvenient Truth. That was, you know, a, a monumental movie. I know it kind of started me down my climate journey. Yep. Um, and, it, and at the end, after all of this buildup of basically saying, like, this is the issue of our time and you should be terrified about it. They say, consider switching to LED light bulbs <laughs> with it. And at the time, LED light bulbs were like super expensive too. <laughs> um, and so it's like, 
what? Yeah. And, and that's the problem in climate is that we are so often left at the top of the emotional cycle. Mm. We don't close the loop for people with it. Yes, we need to educate of like, this is a really big issue. Yeah. But then we need to say, and here's what we yeah. can do about it. I, if, if I can, I want to give kind of two examples of where, Please just in do. my personal life, where I saw this go wrong. Um, my cousin is a bit older than me. And so he's got uh, kids who are, I think, eight and 10. And uh, one of them, the eight-year-old, they put on a play about climate change at their school. And he said the play was really upsetting because it was just kid after kid going up on stage and be dressed as an animal and being like, I am a polar bear. I'm a polar bear. My ice is shrinking. Who will save me? Who will save me? I am a sea otter. I am a sea otter. My kelp forests are shrinking. Who will save me? Where instead it should have been, yes, you maybe have that and then say like, I am a solar panel. I am here. Like, I will save you money. I will also, like, I will save you. I am an electric car. I am here. We need to have that piece. So, and again, that's just like basic climate education for it. We should be starting it at that age of, okay, problem, solution. Mm. Because right now it's so much on the problem and about fear, but it doesn't leave us what, what to do. The second story, this was from this last weekend. Um, I was driving to uh, uh, go on visit my family a couple hours away, and we were on the highway here. I passed a billboard that showed a kind of a, a, a parched lake, you know, with like the where the ground is all broken up. Yeah. Um, and the caption said, uh, "We still have time to sit, to solve climate change," and there was some hashtag around it. And I was just like, "Ugh!" Like that is not the right message. Like it should be for that. It should be, you know, in, in a given County, it should say like electrifying your home saves people in this County an average of $4,000 a year. Yeah. Like, you know, go, go, you know, see how much you can save. Yeah. For it. And then especially with things like the passage of the, you know, the IRA here in the U S the inflation reduction act and stuff like that, that's only going to get more. So that is what we need to be focusing on and then saying, Oh, and by the way, this is also the best thing you can do personally to solve climate change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we had a wonderful guest on Adam Bastock who was talking around similar scenarios, Zach, where, uh, you know, it, it was a case of, Oh, uh, around putting in cycle lanes and it wasn't it wasn't about the benefits it's about you know because this is going to help you get to work quicker it's going to make the air cleaner it's going to it's not about oh it's going to reduce this much carbon out of the air because that doesn't relate to people what relates to people is how does this impact them personally and of course that's the wonderful opportunity for marketers to be really talking to the individuals to the citizens to empower them to educate them to to help them to really understand the practicalities and 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 like you say it is about understanding you know you don't want to discount where we are and the challenge that we are all facing but at the same time you know I love that simplicity about about bringing in that and I am a solar panel and this is what I can do and this is how much I can save you and and this is where you can get it from and this is how it can be installed I think I think at the moment that that piece is missing because the accessibility 
we're in a very transitionary space, aren't we? This is we're at the beginning almost as as individuals of of how we now access this and how we change it. Many businesses will have already been on that transition for a while. Uh, progressive businesses have, and and for many businesses, they're just waking up to the fact that they need to start making some shifts. Some are going to be regulated to have to make those shifts. Um, but as individuals, it, it it's now as you say about education and behaviour change, but in a positive, in a really positive way, because not only is this, as you said, better uh, for them commercially, but it's also better for air pollution and air quality and the planet. Um, but it's, it is it is this, this steady as we go, building that new share of mind, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. It is all about narrative. Mm. Narrative is everything here. And again, the the narrative that we're fighting against is that solving climate change is a sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, it, it just gets pegged as that again and again. Probably there's some a lot of fossil fuel infra, uh, money behind the scenes helping power that mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, which makes sense for them financially with it. But absolutely, that's what we need to be fighting. Um, I'll, I'll share one stat that I've been pretty excited about recently because it's Good. cool to look back where we were and where we are. Good. And and, uh, and this is, again, goes to part of why making this shift is you're stimulating the supply chain. Yeah. By, by by not doing the bad thing, especially when, you know, like you're, you're upgrading your stove or you're buying, you know, a new furnace for your house or a new car. That's like a once a decade decision. Yep. That's going to be really impactful. Um, in 2010, 0.01% of global car sales were electric. 0.01%. Makes sense. They weren't very good. They're really expensive <laughs> for it. In 2021, 8.6% of global car sales were electric. In 2022, it's looking to top 10% with it. We're in the middle of a technological transformation. And I think that this is another point that marketers can make, and especially going up to the investment world, is making that point again and again. The electrification of our economy is akin to going from film to digital, from dumb to smartphones. We are in the middle of it yeah. right now. We're still at the beginning stages, yeah. but it's not like, oh, it's either or. No, It is, these are better technologies that are here. They are better financially. They also happen to be better for the planet. Yep. They're going to replace absolutely the existing ones. And the more that we share that yep. as marketers, as narrative, yep. the faster it actually happens. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I love that. I love, I love how you're breaking this all down and making it seem so simple, Zach. So just, you know, I love, uh, uh, it's great. Where, um, so I think we've talked a little bit about the narrative and, and the role marketing can play. What are the key challenges do you think that marketers are going to have to overcome? I think that there's a lot of pessimism. Again, you're paddling upstream. Yeah. Um, again, there's significant opportunity for that, you know, look at the greatest marketing campaigns of all time. Think different. Uh, it, it's, uh, there's a significant opportunity in going counter and challenging a narrative because you gra- it, it's attention grabbing with it. And so you could very much move in that direction. Um, so that is, I think, the, both the challenge and the opportunity um, in this space. I think there's like more climate trade groups that are coming out and things mm-hmm. like that to kind of demonstrate of saying, hey, this is going to be one of the best ways to make money. 
and yeah. to um, and just aligning all of those incentives here. So I, I think again, as a business, there's also just if you know if, if you're marketing for a business and things like that, the one thing that you can't do is let your talk be way bigger than your actions. Yeah, because there's also the backlash mm. for it. You know, we are we in the climate space and just in general are increasingly sensitive to greenwashing. Yeah. And the unfortunate reality is that rhetoric is far cheaper than action with this. So as marketers, there's a way, especially if you're working in an organization or something like that, you you the arguments that you could make is going and saying, hey, if we did these actions, not only would it be save the company way more, we upgrade our free fleet to fully electric not only will you know we can take that to our investors and be like hey this is you know we're levelizing fuel costs and all these things but this is going to be the impact of the storytelling that we can do as well for it and how we can differentiate ourselves and help lead and push and be a part and kind of be closer to the front of this parade because those are the people those are the companies that are going to get seen in it everyone eventually is going to join Yep. Because again, these are better technologies, but there is an opportunity now because the parade's still relatively small, but getting increasingly loud. Yeah. And and of course, the that gathering momentum, that that almost utilizing it as an advantage, like at a competitive advantage, getting ahead of the game, being being ahead and uh, being innovative and 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 really taking on board these new technologies and making these shifts is is of course one thing, but but the other aspect here is around being an exemplar and also bringing others with you. You know, there's a really great example of that, and, and I'm sure many examples happening. There's a uh, Richard Hagen um, of Crystal Doors here in the UK has has really transfa- transformed his manufacturing process and has become carbon neutral, carbon negative. You know, he's really leading the way, and and as part of his work, he's educating others now, his clients, his competitors, even as to what he's done, so that they too can make these transitions more speedily because of course as you mentioned right at the beginning we have a short window don't we with this this transition it can't be 20 years like the digital transition was really uh, and it, it it has to it really has to accelerate because you, you know we talk about 2050 goals but there's a lot of climate scientists that would say that's too far out you know by the time we get to there some would say argue that already you know with there's there's elements we can't turn back so so there is that challenge isn't there about bringing everybody with us at the same time being a leader but leading and and really bringing others with you absolutely and to build upon that point i think uh it's what messaging are you focusing on yes you should have carbon accounting goals with that mm-hmm. it's a really great framework but unless you're someone who is a climate nerd that can understand things like the difference between scope 1 2 and 3 emissions yep. having that be the headline that you're focusing on is just going to leave a lot of people in the dark it yep. feels like hand waving where it, it sounds like this manufacturer what he did really well is he focused on actions yes what is something tangible yep. i had you know a natural gas uh, you know, installation here. I switched yep. it out with this. This yep. was the benefits to my business for it. This is why I did it. This is how hard it was. Yep. Like that is really tangible. Yep. So I think focusing on actions, yes, you need a climate commitment. 
But that should be kind of behind the behind the scenes one and be like, oh, we're making progress towards this. But the highlighting of the actions themselves that people can actually sink their teeth into that and understand it. And it can be far more motivating and exciting. Otherwise, it kind of feels like, you know, a lot of the folly of like corporate social responsibility and things like that, where it's just like, well, anyone mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. You could tweak numbers on a spreadsheet all you want to get it to look good. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Wonderful, Zach. Look, I I feel I could talk to you forever about this subject. And um, we like to to wrap up the podcast with three kind of quick fire questions that we ask all of our guests. So my first question to you then is, can marketing save the planet? What's your view? Absolutely. Like we, we can't afford for it not to. We cannot solve climate change without changing the fundamental narratives underneath it. And so much of our global narratives and our capitalistic system is driven by marketing. You know, it used to be like religion and thinkers and, and, and things like that. And that has increasingly changed as corporations have become yep. some of the leading ways that we organize ourselves in our societies. So uh, we cannot afford not to have the best marketers in the world focused on exactly this. Fantastic. And what do you hope business then looks like in 10 years time? It's way cleaner. It's cleaner. It's quieter. Um, it is more self-sufficient. It has. It is less subject to kind of crazy prices of what happens in Ukraine um, and things like that. And it's more exciting. That's part of what's the, the really, the more you get into climate change, there's so much creativity. Mm in this space. It's not just the same old for yeah. it. And so it's it's this opportunity to look again and, and say, huh, I guess we can do this differently. Yeah. And then tell that story. That's part of what makes humans so interesting and beautiful is our creativity. So let's bring that to light. Perfect. Love that. And if you were to give one piece of advice to others about getting started with either sustainable marketing or indeed from your world, sustainable investment, what, what would you be telling them to do? Um, start with your personal life and understanding that what resonates with you. Um, again, this goes to um, like go down your own journey of trying to align with it. You'll build a lot of empathy and understand that it's a lot harder to tell something else, someone else to do something that you haven't really tried and explored to do yourself and run yeah. into the pains. But then like the manufacturer that you talked about, once you go through the journey, then you get to say, hey, I know how this, I, I actually know how this goes. I can do this. You have way more credibility and then you can offer way more help within that. So whether that is looking to change the way you're invested with that, uh, or, you know, the way you power your home or what's going on in your business, you know, do it yourself um, first, start that journey. And then once you're done, talk about it. Love that. Fantastic, Zach. What a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was great to be here. 